Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you love the sound of that, hopefully you'll love this episode and love all my other episodes too. If you do, you can head over to onenightinproduct.com where you can find interviews with some of the finest minds in and around product management, binge the back catalogue, subscribe on your favourite podcast app or share with your friends. If you want to throw some spare change in my cup to help with hosting fees, you can see a handy donate link right at the top. On tonight's episode, we talk about product marketing. You know, the team that should be product managers' best friends and partners, but so often just get stuff thrown at them at the last minute and told to release it. We talk about why a good product marketing mindset is so essential to companies trying to make a splash with their products, some of the characteristics of a good product marketing team, and some of the ways product managers might work more effectively with them. We also ponder what happens when you don't do it right, and why you can't just use traditional marketing techniques and hope. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Martina Lauchenko. Martina is a sports-obsessed product marketing guru, venture partner, board member, lecturer, speaker, and now author who started out at Microsoft before moving through Netscape and a glittering array of tech companies in and around Silicon Valley, where she's been named Silicon Valley Business Journal Woman of Influence. Martina once appeared on The Price is Right, and she's now come on down to tell us all about the importance of product marketing and get us all thinking about our go-to-market plans and how our products get adopted. She's doing this as partner at Costa Noa Ventures, product marketing partner at the renowned Silicon Valley Product Group, and is now hoping to inspire us with her new book, Loved, How to Rethink Marketing for Tech Products, which, given she used to be the PM for Microsoft Office, I'm hoping she wrote in Word. Hi, Martina. How are you tonight? I'm great, Jason. <laughs> so, first things first, Loved has been out for a couple of months now, came out in April, I think, middle of April. That's right, yeah. How has that been going, and how's the reception for the book been so far? It's been amazing. I had hoped when I wrote it that it could be an approachable, easy way for people to understand the discipline of product marketing. And I, every week I get notes from people saying that I've never read something that has described it so clearly. This is shaping the way that I'm thinking about how I build my products. So it is, in terms of your aspiration as an author to have an impact on your craft, I'm overwhelmed and thrilled at the reception. That sounds really good. But the accessibility thing is really interesting as a concept, because of course, with a book like this, you could go super deep, you could really go into the depths of marketing and pull it all apart and go into some really hairy concepts and get really theoretical about it. But was it your ambition from the off to really make something that was accessible like that and something that could maybe have a bit of a broad audience and resonate with more people? Yeah, it absolutely was. I made a point of reading the nonfiction bestsellers, not other business books that were randomly <laughs> talking about product marketing, because I wanted to know what makes a book readable because consuming a book takes time. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that this was worth people's time. So I wanted to design it like a product and I put it through the product paces. So I had readers and reviewers and I had an MVP and where I started and where I finished were totally different, but I really wanted it to make it a pleasurable reading experience. And so I focused on that. From a product perspective, I product managed my book in the hopes that it would be a great book. There you go. And a great read. <laughs> well, yeah, a great read. And you know, just to uh, spoiler alert, it is obviously a good read and I recommend it. But has there been any specific early feedback, maybe from some reviews or people that have caught you at an event? I know you spoke at an event in San Francisco recently. Like Any early feedback that's really sort of stuck in your mind or really resonated or made you feel that this was all worthwhile? 
I'd say the two that come to mind are very early on, someone wrote me saying this felt to me like the missing link and helping me under... This was a product manager. So this is helping me understand what I didn't before and how to bring the product actually to market. And I hope it has a major impact on our industry. That one was just like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) what I was hoping to do. So that was amazing. And the other more surprising feedback have been people who are not even close to technology who have found themselves reading it. I've had a controller. I've had a head of school. I've had someone that runs a nonprofit say that they are getting tremendous lessons out of this for their organizations just because it breaks what marketing is down at such a fundamental level that everyone's finding lessons that they can apply. So that's been thrilling. That sounds really good. And it's obviously really great to have that kind of feedback and seeing it resonate with people. But writing a book is in no way a simple endeavor. I've spoken to a bunch of authors on the podcast. They all have their own war stories to tell. And you've kind of touched on it a little bit, some of the process that you had to go through and the fact that you had to put up, manage it, come up with your MVP version of the book and so forth. But I guess we kind of touched on it a little bit in the intro. You're a very busy person. Like you've got lots of stuff <laughs> on the go. You're a partner in, in at least two places that I saw on your LinkedIn, obviously, including SVPG. You've got all the other stuff that you've got going on. And you decided to write a book which must have taken a chunk of time. So I guess I have to ask, what was your motivation to write a book in the first place? And why was now the time to write it? I have been asked for the last dozen years that I've been teaching product marketing, if any, if I had a book to recommend in product marketing, and I, ne- <laughs> I thought, oh, surely someone's going to write one, but no one ever did. So it's kind of like, well, I guess it has to be me. But the, the now really became, I feel like there's this resurgent need for the understanding and application of product marketing as a discipline, not product marketers just practicing product marketing, but everyone that is building products to understand the function of product marketing. At Costa Noa Ventures, I work with early stage startups, and 100% of the early product marketing is done by the founders and the product teams. They don't have someone that carries that title. Yeah. And so they needed to understand it at this much more foundational level. What is it that I'm trying to do? Why does this matter? And what I'm building really won't matter at all if I'm not able to create a space for it in the market and help people understand why it matters. So the motivation for the book really was for the builder and founder community that has to do a lot of this early work. They will ultimately ideally work with great product marketers that help them do it. But if they aren't doing that early foundational work, then all this incredible product creation that we have happening in our world right now, it won't matter. So that became the, why do we need to do this now? No, that makes sense. And I think it's really interesting. It's this kind of idea that if no one else is going to do it, then you're going to have to roll your sleeves up and do it yourself, which is obviously really admirable. But it also feels like, how long do you keep waiting? Like, when do you have to jump? Because, you know, maybe someone would have written one just after you, but now you've ruined it for them. But I guess that's, (laughs) you can't wait too long, right? Yeah. And I'll I'll say this was genuinely the hardest thing I've done professionally in 20 years. It was, I knew it was going to be hard. But it just, again, just making, crafting a book versus writing a bunch of blog posts, totally different. A, a book's a reading experience and I wanted to do that. So it was hard. Yeah, no, I can imagine. But did you have any kind of, as you say about blogs, but like, have you always been like a natural writer or is this, is it something that you have to really work at to get that into a shape that you accept yourself, let alone other people? For me, I really had to work at it. I mean, I I can certainly write well enough to produce blogs and do stuff on social. But again, to kind of put it in print where there's a reading experience where someone's reading from chapter to chapter and 
how do you insert story and how do you insert tension in a story so people want to rest, read the rest of the content and signpost to something that might come later. These are all things that you don't do unless you're writing a book. And then you also have to treat it as an experience from beginning to end. Like, what did I deliver against a reading experience as opposed to, here's a compilation of 30 blog posts, which this is not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I did not have this skill before and I had to learn it as I was writing. So that took a while. Yeah, I certainly know some books that may as well have been just 30 blog posts, by the way. So it's uh, good that you put the effort in. But you're a marketeer. You've presumably been pretty good at selling value propositions in your time and making things as vivid as possible and painting pictures of your words. So with that marketing hat on, how would you define the core value proposition of Loved if you had to sell it in a, a couple of sentences? For anyone who is building a product, if they want it to be seen and adopted in the market, then Loved is for you. There you go. Get that on a billboard. So you, <laughs> <laughs> so you touched on that there and that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds very much then, and you've you mentioned it a couple of times, that this isn't necessarily a book that's solely aimed at product marketers being better at product marketing and teaching people how to do that. But it's also aimed at just anyone that's working in the product space, building products and taking products to market. Yeah, you touched on it yourself as well with founders, entrepreneurs. So is it fair to say then that all of those are your ideal persona? Or do you think that there's one of those that gets the most out of it? I would say, because I had to prioritize. <laughs> <laughs> My top priority, you know, I was a product manager. So how, how could I not do that? My top priority audience was product managers because there are so many of them. Yep. And because to do product marketing effectively, they are the most foundational partner to product marketers. So product marketing can be done well. So again, I work at early stage startups at Costa Noa, and many of the founders are those early product people, whether or not they carry that title. So so it's very <laughs> yep. natural in my world that it winds up being extremely relevant for a lot of founders. And I had founders read those early MVPs to give me feedback on what else do you need to know and understand? Like I just this morning was on a call with a new company called Sync. Had this, the call initiated with them saying, well, I think we need a marketing agency. And we're like, well, what kind of marketing agency? And then they started describing <laughs> what they were looking for. And I was like, that's marketing strategy. That's basic product go-to-market plan. And no agency can do that really effectively. You guys are the ones that have to do it. I'm going to teach you how. And so we spent 90 minutes where I took them through the product go-to-market canvas that's inside the book. And I said, here's how to think about it so that you have a roadmap. Because these people are builders and technologists. They're not used to thinking about it through the go-to-market lens. And it just gave them a, a simple framework through which to understand like they're going to a show, an, an event next week. And we distinguished, what are you trying to do from the talk where you're on stage? Versus what are you trying to do with your booth presence? And they have different objectives. And therefore, it gives them clarity about why they're doing things. And, and then that helps shape the what. Now, that makes a lot of sense. But I was also going to point out that you've got big shoes to fill with this book. Coming as it has from the same stable as Inspired, as Empowered, obviously by your partners, SVPG, uh, Marty Kagan, Chris Jones. Those books were really foundational for product managers and product leaders and kind of a desk reference for both of those things. So like the desk reference for product managers, the desk reference for product leadership and building empowered teams, all of that good stuff. And of course, the vast majority of my audience would have read at least one, probably both of those books. So I guess a question from that is, I mean, you've already talked about how this is a bit broader than just a book for product marketers. And in fact, it's not necessarily aimed at product marketers at all. 
I mean, I'm sure that they can get something out of it, but at the same yeah, they'll time, get a, they'll get a lot out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but uh, to your point, that was my great oh my goodness leap when the book went out. And to your question earlier about early feedback, a lot of people told me they're like, I ordered it right away because it was the next in the SVPG series, and so my <laughs> expectations were very high. Yeah. And it was thrilling to hear from those early readers who were looking at it very much through that lens, how they felt that this was as foundational and important as those other books that preceded it. So that was certainly how I intended to write it. And it's, it's a huge component of building a product is how do you actually get it to market? And any builder who isn't thinking about that aspect of it is missing a huge portion, ultimately, of what makes a product successful. So this is giving people those foundational framings from which they can understand and do a better job of applying the thinking as they build. Again, makes sense. And hopefully we'll find that next to the other two books on everyone's bookshelf, like you say. That's right. That's certainly, that, that was its intention, <laughs> that it is, is a worthy addition to the SVPG library. There you go. But in the book, you say that most tech companies get marketing wrong. That's one of the first things you say in the book, in fact. But I have to admit that I was worried about that because tech companies have been around for quite a while now. And obviously, SVPG have been working with some of them. Costaneau have been working with some of them and loads of other coaches and marketers and other types of you know, venture capitalists. and everyone. They're all working with these companies all the time. So I have to ask, what are some of the ways that these tech companies are still getting it wrong? Because you'd imagine that they've had a bit of a run at it now and they could have maybe tried to get a little bit better already, right? Yeah. And the great ones are still great and they stand out from the rest. And what happens is so you've got like 10% of the companies are doing exceptional marketing and product marketing because they have a really strong foundation. And the ones that aren't quite getting it right are ones that are very much stuck in the mindset. A couple of things. Either we've built this and now we're throwing it over to the marketing team to go and promote. <laughs> and I'd say that is a, a huge... The second thing is people are oriented around, I have this thing, I want to promote it to the world. And now I'm going to just talk about my thing. Yeah. And nobody cares. <laughs> and nobody has the capacity for that. There are five and a half million apps in the MarTech category alone. There are almost 10,000 solutions in one software category. So just the overwhelm that every single human being is dealing with, with so much technology coming at them. And too many companies say, well, if they haven't heard of me, I just need to turn it up to an 11 or I need a higher PR agency <laughs> that like this literally happened. An entrepreneur that I worked with before he and I met, was just like, well, what I really want is Michael Bay, bang. And I just want that bang. How do I get that bang? And <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you don't know. And so it's not easy to understand what the foundation should be from which you can do strong marketing. And that's the part that most people don't understand. They think, I just turn on NCO, I start running campaigns, and then I get pipeline, or then I get users. But it actually takes an incredible amount of intentionality for people to understand why they should pay attention to you versus the 10 other players that are saying things that are similar or overlapping and why they should lean in. And that's what product marketing is for tech. Let me understand why I choose this product over that other one. And most people underinvest in it. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing that you see, and I guess it really varies depending on the type of company, but you can get a lot of companies that almost just, you kind of touched on it just then, they just get what you might call traditional marketing functions in, like maybe they'll bring in some people from 
previous lives that have marketing experience that maybe don't have any real tech experience at all, but they have marketing experience, so they bring them into a product company or a company that's trying to be a product company, and they say, well, that's the marketing person, go off and market and don't necessarily think about anything in a different way. Do you think that's a big problem that you see a lot of? It's a huge challenge for a lot of people to understand that if you bring in, and I see this all the time, we hired this agency and they're doing our SEO and they're running digital campaigns and they immediately start spending money that does yield inbound people. They're not well qualified. The messaging might be bringing it, like positioning the product in completely the wrong place. And I've seen this happen at numerous companies where the marketing team is optimizing for clicks and what helps them hit their numbers. Yeah. But it doesn't position the company or the product for where it needs to be perceived to achieve its long-term goals. So short-term numbers or metrics are met, but where it needs to be positioned relative to another competitor is underinvested in. And it turns, it will always bite you in the butt at some point in time as a company. So that's the part that most people don't quite understand until they hit a wall and then they go, wait, what's wrong? How come this isn't working anymore? And that's when they start to do the examination. Were we saying the right thing <laughs> to the right people? Were we helping them understand why they should lean in and pay attention? And that's what the, those are what the product marketing fundamentals really help ground everyone in. But what does that wall look like as in on the ground when they're there? Is it literally that they just stop getting people moving through the funnel? Or is it that they run out of money? Like, what is it? Like you say, they hit a wall, but like what? Practically speaking, does it look like when they hit that wall in the company? What the walls tend to look like is they are doing a lot of, for a B2B company, they're doing a lot of sales activity, but it's not creating any yield. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're doing, or, or marketing activity that's also not creating yield, either one of those things. That's, you're hitting a wall. And for a direct to customer, it might just be that your acquisition is starting to go down. And that can be any number of things. But those are when people examine and go, hmm, is there something else I should be paying attention to? <laughs> so it's when numbers go down or they flatline or there's no growth that people start to reexamine. What do we need to be doing differently or better? And I just did this with a, another company, Cyril, where they just weren't getting people through pipeline. And we examined their pitch and how they were positioning themselves. And discovered, oh, they're talking about this huge modern data stack where there are a million players in there and they needed to focus in much more on what they were doing, which was database security. Yeah. And by diagnosing that, it changed the roadmap. It changed their pitch. It changed everything that they were doing. And they didn't realize it until they didn't see what they were using working. And now I'm hoping that what you're going to say is that your book or at least the concept of product marketing in general is going to solve all of that. Like that's going <laughs> to give people a playbook to go and become successful and help that 90% of companies that you've alluded to get a little bit better at this stuff. But I guess one question I would have with regards to any of these types of books, which obviously give you a way to do things is, it's not necessarily true that all of those 90% are going to make it because of whatever reasons. Do you think there are any barriers that you tend to see in companies, maybe companies that you've consulted with or just ones that you've come across on your travels that are almost actively pushing against correcting their actions and that they'll just, it doesn't matter how many books you throw at them, they'll just always just try and do things in a certain way. Like, is it an industry problem? Is it a mindset problem? Like, does that I happen? Would, yeah, for sure. And I would say the thing that I notice is People that tend to look at the range of activities that must be done as a checklist. 
I have a pitch. <laughs> I've done my SEO. I'm doing all this. I'm doing these campaigns. And so they believe they've done the work. And it's those companies that don't have the capacity to examine what's the quality of that execution. Is it actually achieving its intended purpose? Those are the ones that are never able to overcome this because they just can't see it's insufficient to just check the box. You actually need to make sure you're saying the right things to the right people at the right time or in the right situation or preparing the market for why your message should matter and that all that must be done simultaneously. It's companies that can't see that, that wind up never able to overcome or succeed up to their potential. And that is always a sad, sad situation to watch, hopefully from afar. And yeah, but I hate to say that I see it more often than... I, I see it often, unfortunately. Well, start sending around uh, or get like a book cannon or something like that. Just start <laughs> throwing your book through the windows or something and see if that helps them out. Yeah, it's a, it's a hardback, so at least it'll get through the window. Yeah. Well, I'll say that. So part of what I tried to do in the book was help people understand how to distinguish between what is average that they see out there versus what makes something actually good. Because it's not obvious. Really good things, it's not clear what makes them good. And so this is trying to help people understand what makes this messaging good for this audience. Because it's not just a simple rule of like, this kind of messaging is always good. It's very contextual to stage and audience and your product category. And you have to be extremely thoughtful about that. So that's a, a huge part of what I tried to bring into the book so people could understand, oh, I can't just follow a formula. I actually have to think about where I am and who I'm trying to message to in my stage company absolutely matters. But one thing that occurs to me from what you've just said, and it's something I think that Marty talked about with me when we talked about Empowered when that came out, was this concept that there's kind of the best and the rest. And obviously, he's talking about that very much from a product management perspective. But this idea that you kind of have to almost, as he put it, find religion, and you've kind of got to drink the Kool-Aid, and you've got to just throw yourself into the, in that case, product, but in your case, product marketing swimming pool and just accept it and and let it consume you. Do you think that that's the same thing with you that you kind of just have to accept these principles and convert to them? Or do you think that you can take it step by step and maybe just take it very iteratively as you go along? How all in do you have to go? Well, I'm ultimately a pragmatist. And so I, (laughs) I I believe there's room for all. There is a best and rest. But realistically, it's not always easier possible for someone to say wholesale, you know what, we're just gonna, we're gonna chase down the best in class model. It just doesn't work in some organizations. And so I give very pragmatic advice as to, okay, if you are the first product marketer, instead of trying to spread yourself peanut butter thin, attach yourself to one product of extremely strategic importance and show how the model works there. then the company has a reference point for how it is better. And then they will invest properly. There's motivation to invest because they've seen it work as opposed to trying to say like, well, this is what it's supposed to be and everyone should understand. They don't have have a reference point for understanding. So that's one model of how people can start to stand it up. But at a minimum, the reason why I broke it down into just four fundamentals, the ambassador connecting customer and market insights, the strategist directing the products go to market, the storyteller shaping the market's perception of your product and the evangelist enabling others to tell that story. If all you do is get better at applying those four in everything that you do, your product marketing will be better. Well, there you go. That's a bold claim and hopefully people can start to act upon that after this interview. But let's talk about the people that are doing the product marketing then, which we would suppose would be product marketers. That's product marketing managers and heads of product marketing and VPs of product marketing, all of those people. 
in your opinion, what are some of the key attributes of a good product marketer? Great product marketers and great product managers have all the same qualities, and it's really just where and how they apply them. So a great product manager applies those skills toward building the product, and a great product marketer applies those skills into how they prepare and shape the market and those that are trying to bring a product to market. So the entire go-to-market machinery, the marketing teams, and the sales teams, or even sometimes the growth teams, depending on what the configuration is. But they have that same curiosity and really communication superpowers. And also just that capacity for simultaneously for strategy and for execution. So those are some of the key qualities that the great product marketers always have. Absolutely. And I've worked with some fine product marketers and continue to this day. So give them a shout out on the side in case they're listening to this. But one of the things that we spoke about before the interview, and you talk about it in the book as well, is that how product marketing isn't necessarily just about product marketers and product marketing managers and, and so forth. But it's more of a mindset as well. And that it's actually not necessarily something that you even have to have a product marketer for as long as you've got the general principles and ideals and you do the things that you obviously recommend in the book. So does that mean then that we don't really need product marketers at all and we can just train up other people in the business? Or do you think that it's generally better to have some specialists in pocket? I would, of course, always advocate having <laughs> someone that knows the craft because they can just get there much faster. Yeah. And because they can direct things with, they've done laps. I mean, it's like anything. If you're making it up as you go along, then then you're going to get it done. But is it going to be best in class? It's going to be really hard. Yeah. So you want a specialist that actually knows and understands what best in class looks like and can help drive to a best in class result. And this is, again, the distinction between like, I'm checking the boxes, I'm doing it versus being able to do it at a really high level. And it would be extremely difficult to do product marketing at a really great level without someone that's done it before. So that's why you want someone that specializes in it. But very real. Like I, I did a keynote to a group of 800 people, two thirds of what they're all in the product organization to build internal tools. Yeah. Will they ever have product marketers? No, they won't. Do they need <laughs> to do product marketing so that their products internally will be adopted and understood? Yes, they do. Yeah. And so that might mean that they have to think through, what does my beta adoption process look like? And should I find 25 internal evangelists that we build into our build process as our you know, design partner equivalents so that they can exit as evangelists throughout the organization, showing others how to use the product so it's not just incumbent on this product team that's launching this internal tool to do a tour and say, and this is why you should use it. So <laughs> having that mindset, regardless of where you sit, can be of great service no matter what kind of product you're building. Yeah, I think that's super interesting, actually, and something that I advocate for with internal products in general is the you know, and the internal product managers is trying to make sure that they treat the rest of the people within their organization as effectively their users, their customers, because ultimately, you don't want internal products to be seen as like the place where good people go to die, right? Like that's the way it turns out in some companies, like you see these people just working really hard, slaving away, just trying to get stuff done, and just churning stuff through and, and just you're kind of being hidden in the back and just people are just made to use the software. So it feels really important, both from a product management and a product marketing perspective. And I think that thing you say around evangelism, I think is really key as well, just being able to be that evangelist and that tub thumper for the product internally and, and help to just keep people excited in it, because otherwise, that's not a fun thing to work on. And it's also not fun for the user too. 
Well, of course, but I was going to say, though, actually, an interesting question about that is obviously with your experience with Microsoft Office is there have been times in its life where Microsoft Office has maybe been accused of being a little bit, you know, not fun to use, for example. Like, was that something that you were very conscious of in your time there or? Yeah. Like, because it must be really difficult product marketing. I mean, you were a product manager at the time at Microsoft, but I understand that product managers at that time were more product marketers anyway. So was it pretty tough product marketing Microsoft Office? Well, that was, I mean, I learned such incredible lessons there, but that was very much (laughs) where I understood how do you establish the guidepost for a category and move your product toward it? Yeah. And when we would watch people in usability studies, I watched this one user who the document that we had him build, we would look at and we said like, yeah, that's, that's really easy. It would take any of us 15, 20 minutes to do. He self-identified as advanced and we watched him do this. He, A, could not successfully do what we consider to be an easy document. He <laughs> menu surfed the entire time for things like bullets or changing the color and their buttons right in front of him that do these things, <laughs> but he was surfing the menus. And it was this great lesson early in my career to realize this person believes they're an advanced user. And by our standards, they would not even have qualified as a beginner because they menu surfed to find and do the things that they were doing. So what we believe people have the capacity for and what they actually do and even how they think of themselves tends to be very different. Anyone that's building the product has infinitely more knowledge than the people who are using it. Yeah. And this is one of the wonderful ways in which the product instrumentation that lives today is so fantastic because we can basically compare what we believe versus how people are actually using the product. And I think that's such a critical and amazing tool available to product managers today. So I for sure saw that firsthand many times. Absolutely. Knowledge is power. And I agree that there are some fantastic tools out there, but we won't name them because we don't want to get accused of uh, shilling for anyone or other. <laughs> but there, yeah, take advantage. <laughs> But the book talks a lot about how different functions can work effectively together with product marketing teams as well. Now, obviously, it covers a whole different range of types of person that could work with product marketing, but let's keep our focus for now on product management. What are some of your top tips for effectively working with product marketing as a product management team? Well, the number one is that your product marketer should be embedded with the product squad. Not every product squad is going to have a product marketer, but for anything that is customer facing or so, for example, you might have 200 product squads, but 40 of them roll up to something that is considered a product experience. And there's one team that is most in charge of the, the user's primary experience of the interface that they have with that product. That would be the place for that product marketer be embedded because that's where they are connected to the experience that the customer is having an opportunity to engage with. And that person should be embedded and help you make decisions about... I talk about in the strategy section, what makes something go-to-market strategy forward is starting with the when, then the why, then the what, and the how. And so if that product marketer is injecting into with that product team, the conversations all right, the 50 things we're looking at our backlog and the five we're going to prioritize is this next sprint. Instead of them just saying what can be done, the question gets asked, where might we have market wind at our back? Yeah. Or what upcoming conference do we have where we should be trying to you know, group a couple of sprints so that we have some really great things for our go-to-market teams to talk about at that conference? That's what that collaboration looks like so that product teams are making 
decisions that are informed by the market reality. Or another one that, that I have seen happen often is the urgency around a competitive response that might need to be seeded in product. That needs to come in via the product marketer because sales might be complaining or like, oh, maybe sales is just complaining because they want this feature. But that product <laughs> marketer needs to be the truth sayer saying, no, this is legitimate. Our win rates are going down. Here's where people perceive the category to be going. How do we not just respond, but actually exceed where the market is going so that we're redefining that standard? And that then becomes a collaboration. So embed and then collaborate. And that collaboration has to do with how you build and how you what you build and when you release certain things. It's how you talk about it. So no product marketer can do a good job of messaging without collaborating mightily with their product management partners. Yeah. And that there's just regular give and take cadence where product management teams don't feel like they can make great, smart, successful market forward decisions without that product marketer. And the product marketer doesn't feel like they can be good at their job without deeply understanding the product. No, absolutely. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the classic whole product concept, which I think I first read about in Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, this idea that product teams should go beyond just considering like the features that they deliver and the technicalities of stuff that they're shoveling through their feature factory, but actually working on the entire experience from the acquisition up front all the way through the life cycles or acquisition, retention, you know, obviously growth, but you know, potentially offboarding and the aftercare that they might need to have and all of that stuff. And this idea that that whole thing is really what you're supposed to be looking after, not just the thing in the middle. Yeah. But it isn't uncommon. And you touched on it yourself earlier, this idea that there's quite a lot of product managers out there that just seem to throw stuff over the fence last minute. As you say, hey, product marketing manager, we're done now. This thing that you've never heard of before, off you go. And can you like make us a slide or a blog post or something about that? I guess we've kind of touched on it already, but it seems that the answer to that is literally for these people to know about that stuff weeks or months in advance. And I remember I spoke to one guy a handful of episodes ago, and he kind of said that product marketing generally, like go-to-market, is very necessarily a waterfall-type approach because you've got kind of external dependencies that you have to hit and sort of trade publication deadlines, and you've got conferences, as you say. So I guess that what what you're saying is that getting them way upstream is yes by far the biggest sort of force multiplier you can get out of this relationship. For sure. And that's why I'm, I talk about embedding and making them part of the planning process. So one of the things I recommend in the book is at a minimum, and this is the absolute minimum, whatever your product planning process is, if it's monthly, if it's every two weeks, if it's quarterly, make sure that the big conversations are happening where you are understanding what are some mega trends or major things we need to take into consideration on the market front? And how should that influence what we're deciding to do on the product roadmap? And I have never, ever been in a meeting where those things come together and it hasn't changed what gets built when. Because people realize, well, like, oh, we were, we were going to get this done whenever it was going to be done. And all of a sudden, if there's a forcing <laughs> function on the marketing side or on the go-to-market side, there's a reason to pull it in two sprints versus doing it the, the original timeframe that was envisioned. And it's just a more market forward way to think about how you build what you build. Yeah, absolutely. But we touched on it before. Not all companies have product marketers. You yourself said that we want to kind of get those experts in to make sure that we get to best in class and, and start doing things properly and have the best chance of success. But you're working with a lot of early companies at the moment as part of your day job. 
I guess the question is how early in the process or how early in the life cycle of a company do you think that getting those specialists in makes sense? You don't want them too early, I presume, but how early do you want them? Well, I've worked with companies as early as, okay, we just incorporated and now we're thinking of announcing <laughs> that we are an, a company. How do we talk about ourselves? Yep. And so even, even just the basics of how do I talk about what we're building so that it is valued and considered important so that we can recruit people to work for us. That's not just within our direct network. That becomes a messaging exercise. Yep. So there, if, someone, if, if you don't have the tools, finding someone to do that work with, either like, like Costa Noah, the way we do it is we have a builder ops team and I'm the marketing expert. And so I get to work with all these companies in, in an embedded way. So I get to be that person to them. Yeah. But if you don't have a me, then you want to bring in a marketing advisor or just somebody that you're bouncing this stuff off of so that you're not doing it without any external guidance. And that's how you do it. But it actually winds up being important really, really early. Yeah. I guess the question there is whether the recommended path is, again, as you say, getting that kind of fractional role in to start with to get things moving and make sure that people don't make any major missteps. But then as part of the handover or the stepping back of that fractional role that they would then recommend the sort of team that you would need to carry that on. Is that the way that you do it? Yeah, I'd say you, you, you start off making do with what, what seems reasonable, what you have access to. <laughs> and again, this is at the, very, the earliest stages, like we just signed some paperwork, we're now a company. <laughs> but there are some that can get out of the starting gate with much more. And there, there's absolutely an argument in some, in some cases where there's a lot of market to be built even in advance of the product. Yeah. And this is true for one company in particular that were for a year pre-product, they just did an incredible amount of content generation where they were preparing the market for their point of view and why their product would be meaningful. Yeah. And they have just clobbered everyone else in the space that had product out in advance of them oh, because they go. did such a great job of dominating the conversation even before the product was out. And so that was a company that realized we need to own the conversation. Yep. And then our product can be more successful. And that has translated massively in the marketplace. It's been extraordinary to watch. And that's really interesting. It kind of brings to mind the idea of the type of work that you have to do when you're creating a new category, for example, where you have to persuade people that this is a real thing and do so much advocacy around it before anything even happens, before you can even try and sell into that category because no one else either, even knows that that's a thing yet. So it really speaks to that idea that you can do a lot of pre-work to just warm people up and then all of a sudden you're the natural fit for them, which is really interesting, uh, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Another company that I'm working with, Signal, they do authorization for enter modern enterprise authorization yep. and authentication. Very glamorous. Is, very glamorous. Yeah, very super glamorous. But the <laughs> distinction that most people can draw between authentication and authorization, like yep. they don't know the difference. Like 95% are like, oh, don't I get authorizations for authentication? Oh, it's different. <laughs> Like if you actually Googled authorization, like it, it brought up this University of Iowa page where this IT team was talking about things. They're like, wow, this is crazy. So if they went out <laughs> to the market just talking about what they did without this broader understanding of the lack of understanding and the confusion in the marketplace, they wouldn't have succeeded. But already they've switched to it's just-in-time access management instead of focusing on the technical terms. Yeah. And they're finding everyone can understand that. They're like, oh, well, I need that. Instead of saying what you need is modern enterprise authorization, they're saying you need just-in-time <laughs> access management for anyone that's trying to access customer data. Oh, yeah, I need that. So now let's talk. Yeah. These seem like small things. This is a, you know, a brand new company, but it's made a huge difference in who's leaning in, 
and the kinds of conversations they're able to have. Well, as we said before, painting pictures with your words. And where can people find you after this if they want to speak to you about the book, about product marketing in general, or if they even want to try and find out if there's a YouTube link for your Prices Right appearance? <laughs> I need to find that VHS tape and like <laughs> put it out there somewhere. Just even for, I haven't shown it to my kids. Did, did you win, by the way? No, because I was a college student. Ah. And I didn't know the price of anything. So they're like showing a TV. I'm like, I don't know. And bicycles. I'm like, I have no idea. Watches. So I I would turn to my friends. I was that person that would always turn to the audience hoping someone would give me the answer. And I I got consolation prizes. I got a rain jacket, a boom box, and $25 worth of Little Debbie snack cakes. Oh, there you go. Well, uh, from small acorns to great marketing careers yeah. grow. But where to find me? Yes. Anyone that buys the book, if they turn in a receipt to info at svpg.com, I am holding office hours for people who want to have a conversation about what they're learning or have questions. So it's basically oh, programmed go. on an as-needed basis. So if you buy the book, that's where you can have a direct conversation with me. I am definitely on my my personal website, martinalauchenko.com or lovedthebook.com. I'm trying to keep a list of places where I might be and show up. I'm speaking at the Product Camp Conference in South America, the largest one down there. Super exciting in Brazil at the end of this year. And oh, I'm wow. speaking at another conference, a business conference in Wisconsin in September. But I'll keep putting things up if people are interested in trying to see me in person. <laughs> but Zoom works. Thank goodness for Zoom, right? <laughs> I'm sure they'll be very interested. What I'll do is I'll obviously make sure to link all of those different places into the show notes. And hopefully you'll get a legion of product marketing curious fans heading in your direction. Well, that's been a fantastic chat. So obviously, really glad we could find a time and talk about some really important issues around how we can get product managers and product marketing working together. Uh, hopefully, we can stay in touch. But yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time. Oh, Jason, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com Check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure you share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.